That was spectacular. What a joy it is to celebrate Christmas Eve with all of you. For anybody who's maybe brand new with us, my name is Aaron Stern. I'm the lead pastor here. And I wonder if you remember a time growing up, or maybe you've got kids and you've experienced this, when, when kids make it obvious of exactly what they want for Christmas. Remember maybe if they're, uh, you know, graduating from the training wheels bicycle to the like big boy, big girl bicycle, and they're like, this is, it's coming. And, you know, at first it's subtle hints. And then after a while, it's just plain old straightforward asking, maybe even on the edge of demanding kind of requests for Christmas. And, and you're, it's, it's, it's clear. And, and they haven't gotten it, so they're thinking it's certainly Christmas. And then Christmas morning arrives. And you're as a family hanging out, sitting around the tree, and it's your turn. I don't know how your family is, but ours is one at a time. I've heard of some uh, families that are just absolute pandemonium, everybody at the same time, whatever the case might be. But you get the first one, and you open it up, and it's a bicycle helmet. And you're like, oh, it's going to be the day. It's going to be the day. Been dreaming about this, been thinking about this. And then it comes around to your turn again. Grab a little box. Bicycle bell, this is looking good. Promising, very promising. Open up the box again. Got some lights that you put on your spokes. Very important. Very important. And, and lights for the front and the back of the bike. Safety first. And so you're like, okay. Now, you do notice at the tree there's no big box or big bicycle-looking thing. There's nothing big enough for that. So you think it must be in the garage. It must be in the closet. Maybe they put it outside. And so, you know, you're getting to the end, and all the presents are disappearing, and you're just anticipating, oh, we've got one more. And you get to the end, all the presents are gone, and mom and dad say, Merry Christmas. And you're like, they're like, have fun, enjoy. Enjoy your helmet. Now, those would be pretty mean parents, but it would be like slightly fulfilling because you you got some things, but it would be mostly disappointing. I mean, you're, you find that it was generous, it was thoughtful, it was well-wrapped, but something is missing. Something's not quite right. It wasn't that they didn't give you a water bottle. It wasn't that they didn't give you some gloves for riding the bicycle. It was that they didn't give you a bicycle. It's like I got everything around it, but I didn't get it. And there's a lot of ways that Christmas is fun and festive, magical and memorable. But there's also a way that Christmas can, can be missing something and leave us wanting. Saying that was fun, but it wasn't deeply fulfilling. Recognizing that something's memorable and maybe even magical, but still lacks meaning. We might find ourselves grateful, but also disappointed. Having all the trappings of Christmas, Christmas cheer, Christmas uh, peppermint lattes, lights, gifts, ornaments, the whole deal, but missing the center, Jesus. Now you might say, okay, thanks, A.A. Ron, I really appreciate that. <laughs> Cute reminder that Jesus is the reason for the season, or to keep Christ in Christmas. 
But in many ways, these cliches, cliches, you know, are phrases or words that have lost meaning over time because of overuse. Where we might believe it, but somehow it's lost the weight of what that's all about. And so at Christmas, we, we think, oh, Jesus is the reason for the season, and we, we think of an eight-pound, six-ounce little tiny baby Jesus. Cute and cuddly and nice and important. But if, if that's all we think, then we can miss who he really is and what this night was all about. And so I just want us to take a moment, read a possibly familiar passage of Scripture, and make a couple of observations. In Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse, in verse 1, it says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. Now I love this because it places Jesus in a time in history and in a particular place around the world, in particular circumstances under the rule and reign of Herod. So the idea and the realization of Jesus is not an idea. He's an actual person that entered into the reality of this world. And it goes on and it says that that time some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. Now, these are the three kings that we might sing about in the, the Christmas carol. We three kings of Orient are, right? They weren't kings. They were wise men or magi or, or something, and they, but they brought gifts. And, and it's maybe possibly one of the places where we came to start giving gifts or gifts to be a part of Christmas. But they asked, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. So the first thing I want to identify about Jesus is that Jesus is a disruptor. This passage says Jesus is not simply an accessory to the holiday season, nor is he simply a symbol to value. Jesus is a king to be worshipped and sought after. Right? He's a, a sweet baby, no doubt. But a sweet baby was born every day. Might have been other babies born on that particular day. But a sweet baby doesn't really disturb a king unless that baby in some form or another threatens his power. So Jesus here, even in his birth, is disrupting power. Jesus arrival onto the scene means that Christmas is a time to remember that we are not king or queen. We are not the rightful rulers of our lives. See, Jesus was a threat to King Herod's power in that day. He heard as they asked, where is the king of the Jews that we've heard about? But Jesus is as much a threat to the power we like to hold over our lives as he was back then to King Herod. We like to be in charge. We like to control our lives. But to serve someone as king, we don't necessarily, many of us don't necessarily understand king. We, we live in a democracy. We elect our leaders. The, we, the people, are their own king, and we, we elect leaders to represent and do the will of the people. Or in the commercial world, the customer is king. And so we get used to that. And we think that it applies to God too. Or that he works for us. And if we're honest, 
in some way or another. We actually want a God who exists for us, who does what we want. Uh, we want to be the main characters of our own stories. And we would love to have Jesus be a part of it, but actually just as a supporting actor. We find ourselves back in charge. Eugene Peterson, he wrote the message version of the Bible, and he was a pastor for 30 years. During that time, he wrote uh, quite a few books, one of them being Where Your Treasure Is. And in this book, he says, the self is persistent, quietly, subtly, ingeniously, it works itself back to center. Jesus arriving as king is a reminder to each one of us that he is king and we are not. We are not the ones in charge because if we are, then we are leading and we oftentimes want Jesus to follow us and bless the things that we're doing. Maybe for some of you, you've been following Jesus for a long time. And somehow, in some way, Jesus doesn't seem to disrupt your life much anymore. I wonder if Christmas this year can be a reminder that there's always areas of your life that God is looking to to engage in, looking for us to surrender, ways for our lives to become more His, so that He is greater reflected in our lives. And Jesus invites us to follow Him. If He's King, we follow Him as King, not as buddy, life coach, consultant, spiritual advisor, but as king over all things, every area of our lives, our finances, our relationships, our careers, our dreams, our choices, our every day. We also see in this passage, Jesus is the way. The, the wise men were lost. Have you ever, have you ever thought about uh, what this passage would look like and what would have happened if they were three wise women instead of three wise men? First of all, they would have asked for directions, and they would have actually arrived on time. They would have helped deliver Jesus, clean up the manger, set up a meal train, and brought practical gifts like diapers, wipes, and pacifiers. (laughs) But here they are lost and searching and looking. Jesus later says in the Gospels, I am the way in John chapter 14. He doesn't just say, I know a way. I have a way. He says, I am the way. That's a strong claim. And actually, to many of us, if somebody said that to us other than Jesus, we would think that's an arrogant claim. It certainly would be disruptive. And this is why. Because if Jesus is saying, I am the way, then that would mean something about us. It would mean we're lost and we need a way. Now, especially for all the men in the room, we don't get lost, right? I mean, my wife, Josie, will ask me every now and then, are we lost? No, 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 just getting reoriented. We don't like to think of ourselves as lost. But Jesus is saying, I am the way, which means that we needed a way. He says in John chapter 19, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Meaning we're searching and we're looking. Now religion says that man is searching for God, but the message of Jesus is that God is searching for man, for humans. And this is most exemplified and beautifully illustrated in Christmas Eve. Jesus coming into the world, God himself in bodily form, 
for all the other stories of gods, little g gods, all throughout history. This was profound, that God would actually go into the mess of creation, go into the mess of humans. That was unheard of. But God says, no, no, it's not just about you somehow figuring it out and you, you making the gods happy. It's instead a God who loves his creation and says, you're lost. You need a way. You're not going to find it on your own. So I am going to send the way. We long for a way. I think there's actually an existential reality in all of us, in every human heart that longs to find our way home. We have the perpetual sense that there is somewhere we are supposed to be. We're yearning for home, longing to be at peace. And maybe throughout our lives we try to find it in places like money or sex or relationships, in a career or some sort of experiences or adventures. But Jesus came to us not to tell us to find our way but to be the way. And the beautiful thing is is that Jesus comes to you tonight and meets you right where you are, meets you in your pain, meets you in your grief, meets you in your confusion, meets you in your questions, meets you as, as you're in a place maybe where you find yourself alone, feeling rejected or abandoned. He meets you. He comes after you, not saying, well, figure yourself out and then come to me. And as we continue on in this story, we see something else about Jesus. And that is that Jesus welcomes the unlikely. These three wise men were not Jewish. They were likely Babylonian princes or astrologers. These were people that the Jews oftentimes would exclude, reject, stay away from because they're unclean. They're not Jewish. And so it's a shock that jumps off the pages of Matthew chapter 2. Of all the people to come searching for Jesus, these people, the ones that were rejected and not to be kind of around us, let alone our Savior. So isn't it amazing that at the birth of Jesus, God is already overcoming prejudice and racial injustice. He's uprooting religious superiority and making a statement about what his kingdom looks like. And he does the same with the shepherds. Shepherds were the lowest of the social ladder and the outcasts of society. It's as if God is inviting the unwanted to his son's birthday party. So I don't know where you find yourself today. I don't know where you were last night. I don't know what you're addicted to. I don't know what your secrets are. I don't know what your lifestyle is. I don't know what you've done, but God would say to you that regardless of those who consider you unworthy, how you've been maybe rejected by society or hurt by the church, whoever you are, wherever you are, you're a candidate to be invited to the birthday party of Jesus. The unlikely ones, the unworthy ones, the ones that somehow wouldn't normally make it or be invited by the, the, to the people that are the elites and this and that, you're invited. And God is inviting you tonight. Will you pause and listen? 
Can you hear the invitation? Can you hear the invitation of God? The invitation to come home. The invitation to come into freedom. For some of you, you're here today. And maybe it took a lot of courage to be here today or maybe even overcoming of some of your initial responses because maybe over the past couple of years you've walked away. Walked away from church and maybe even walked away from faith. And you find yourself in a place of resistance, disappointment, disillusionment. But the invitation that I hope you hear, not just from me, but from the Holy Spirit, is come home. See, because another peppermint latte, another gift, and even a perfect gathering where Aunt Marge and Uncle Bob don't argue and, and, and where you have a, a peaceful, not hurtful family gathering, even that won't heal the deepest ache of the human heart. Jesus brings peace. The angels announce to the shepherds on the hill just outside of Bethlehem, saying, peace on earth. That's what Jesus was bringing. That's what was happening. He wasn't saying, you're going to have feelings of peace. He wasn't saying there's going to be an absence of conflict. But the peace he's talking about translates into the, from the word shalom. And the word shalom is a peace that passes all understanding. It's a peace that circumstances seem like they're chaotic and not peaceful, but there can be a peace on the deep, in the deepest parts of our, who we are. It's talking about a shalom that says all things are right. And when Jesus comes back, there will be perfect shalom. Throughout creation, in relationships, all things will be made right. In any way that you feel a lack of shalom in your heart and your life, Jesus is inviting you, inviting you to respond, inviting you knowing that he can fulfill the deepest longings of your heart, the longings for dignity, the longings for love, the longings for belonging, the longings to not feel alone, the longings of identity, the longings for belonging, for all the things that somehow we're aching for, that maybe we receive a little bit from somebody else or other people, and that's a blessing, but we find it doesn't quite go deep enough. Maybe it's the longing for freedom. For some of you here, you find yourself under a cloud of shame saying, thanks, Aaron, that's a nice idea but you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been a part of. You don't know, I'll, I need to figure some things out. I'll get my life right. Then I'll come. But Jesus would say to you, no, 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 that's not how my kingdom works. That's not how my invitations work. My invitation is not for you to find your own way, then come to me. You're, the invitation is to believe I am the way and to come to me and I will make you whole and I will bring what is dead back to life. I will break you free from shame. I will bring about hope in places of despair. That's the invitation. And so I wonder if you just take a, even a moment and reflect on the longings of your heart and allow them to collide with the invitation of God. And say, what if it's true? 
What if it's true that all those deepest longings are met in Jesus? And that the invitation is to cross the line of faith and to say, Jesus, you're the way, and I trust you as king. Maybe you've never said that before, and you would just take a moment to say that under your breath. Jesus, you're the way. I trust you as king. Or maybe you've walked away or wandered away, and you say, you know what, I need to recommit my life to Jesus. Jesus, you're the way. I trust you as king. It's not the only thing that you need to say to God, but it's an amazing first thing to say to God on a journey of following, a journey of surrender. And so maybe you find yourself here today and you've walked with Jesus for a long time, but maybe you realize there's areas of your heart and your life that you haven't surrendered to him as king. You know what? I've actually kind of treated him like a spiritual advisor. I trust him. I believe in him. I believe that he was the savior. But he's more like, a, more like an advisor, more than a king. And so maybe the moment for you tonight is a moment of surrender as well. And my hope and my prayer for each one of us is that we would see Jesus for who he is. Savior of the world, a beautiful baby for sure, which the, the, the profundity of, a, of God entering the world as a helpless baby is, blows my mind. But the reality of the king of the universe and all of history entering into the world and disrupting power in the moment and disrupting the power of sin and evil and death and disrupting the control that we like to have over our lives in order to lead us to life, that is amazing. That's amazing. And so <laughs> I think it's Christmas Eve, everybody. We should be jumping around and we should jump out of here because Jesus came, everyone. And he changed everything. So I want to take a moment and pray for all of us. Father, in your deep love for your creation, for all of humanity, you entered this wild and crazy and broken world because it wasn't as you created it and wanted it to be, and you wanted to make it right. And so you came into the world as a helpless baby, but, but not without power. And you came, and I pray that, God, I pray that we would welcome your disruption. We'd welcome your disruption even in this moment. The ways that we were holding on to some things, and you want to disrupt. The ways that we think about life or think about you, you want to disrupt some things. Holy Spirit, we welcome your disruption because we believe, Jesus, you are the way. You're the way to life, true and eternal life. Thank you that you welcome all of us. I pray, Father, also that we would be like you and welcome the unlikely, the outcast of society, those that maybe feel or are treated as unwanted, pray that we would be like you, God, in the ways in which we love. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for your arrival. This we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.
Let's all stand together. We're going to close here in a moment by singing O Holy Night. And this will be the time where you can take out your candle because of fire codes and all that kind of stuff and uh, instructions for this building. Um, We're not able to light candles, and so we turn on candles here at Mill City. If you would, keep your candles off. And once we start singing, I'd love for us to light our candles and not just keep them here, but go like this and lift them high, recognizing that Jesus broke into the world. And as we sang at the beginning of the gathering, go tell it on the mountain. We want the world to know that Jesus is the light. And the way that he broke in and disrupted things then, I pray that he would disrupt our lives and our lives would communicate life. That on that oh holy night, a baby was born. But a baby was born that changed everything. Let's sing together.
Jesus.